is the WTF Bach Podcast. The podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach, brought to you by his prodigal son, WTF Bach. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. Why don't you let WTF Bach guide you? And now, here's WTF Bach. Thanks for listening, my unseen, invisible, deserving, and dedicated audience. It's WTF Bach here. I got a lot of nice feedback about the last episode, which was a live lecture on Bach's structural thinking, and in particular, people liked what I had to say about the cello suites. Through this feedback, I was drawn into a discussion about the cello suites. Which recordings do I prefer? Do I like Pablo Casals? Well, I love Pablo Casals. His recordings of the cello suites, they're one of the great artifacts of Bach. I used to display a proud LP copy of his cello suites where on the cover, Casals, already an old man, is photographed with hats, long jackets, umbrellas, you know, classical music swagger. And then I was asked about Mstislav Rostropovich, another great cellist, and I said, well, you know, even though I love Casals and Rostropovich, I don't spend as much time listening to them as I used to because I simply find the recordings too slow. It was a symptom of the period they were playing in. Nowadays, we tend to play Bach a bit faster than we did in the 1930s and the 1950s. And if only there were some button where you could just speed up Casals and Rostropovich. Wait, what? Some button? Of course, boom, what am I even saying? YouTube has a button where you can listen to anything quarter speed, half speed, three quarter speed, normal speed, 1.25 speed, one and a half speed, 1.75 and double double speed. You can listen to anything on YouTube in these speeds. So I ran over to the modern jukebox, which is youtube.com, and I went to play Rostropovich in 2x speed. And I found some delightful results and I'd like to share these with you today. So Casals and Rostropovich sped up. That's what we're going to do today. Naturally, you must keep in mind, this isn't for the sake of everyone's ADHD, just getting through something because we need to know how it ends. No, no. In fact, the more you dig into Bach, in the present era at least, the more you see a very narrow circle of tempi emerge that one might consider historically applicable. Whether or not you wish to apply such history to yourself is, of course, another story and completely up to you. But now that I think about it, it seems I already have spoken about this idea in the episode where I suggested we all listen to Bach in MIDI files, that by adjusting the tempos, that by speeding up and slowing down, there might even be something one can learn about the structures of Bach's pieces, and by speeding up, you get a sort of bird's eye view of a piece. And naturally, as Casals and Rostropovich are some of the most sacred names in Bach playing, some of you might find this practice deviant or even sacrilegious. And so, if you do, welcome to the WTF Bach Podcast. Are you obsessed with Johann Sebastian Bach like WTF Bach is? The WTF Bach Podcast is about all things Johann Sebastian Bach. Johann Sebastian Johann Sebastian Johann Sebastian Johann Sebastian Bach. This is the WTF Bach Podcast. To the cello suites, after all, a brief history of the recording, because it was, in fact, the recordings of Casals and Rostropovich that introduced me to these suites. There was a great history of these cello suites in recording. In fact, there's an incredible website about all of it, jsbachcellosuites.com. That's simple, jsbachcellosuites.com. The link is in the description 
Whoever made this website, thank you very much for your service. Let me zip through the history by saying that Pablo Casals, a name practically built into associations with cello and cello playing, Casals made the first recording of these suites in 1938. And then apparently it wasn't until the 50s that more cellists began to record these wonderful works. And Rostropovich has a magnificent live recording from 1955. Now, if you're into recordings and you're into Bach, you recognize the year 1955 as the year of Glenn Gould's first Goldberg recording. Gould, also near the time of his death, recorded the Goldberg variations again in 1981, and they sound completely different. But of course, that comparison between the two Gould recordings of the Goldberg variations is something for every other Bach podcast cover. Meanwhile, Rostropovich also re-recorded the cello suites, this time in 1991. So we have both young Gould and young Rostropovich in 1955, and then older Gould in 1981, and older Rostropovich in 1991, coming back to the same pieces. I love this idea. Artists using these giant works of Bach as a touchstone. The music doesn't change, but these artists' entire worlds have changed around the same music. And interestingly enough, Gould in 1955 plays very fast, and in 1981 he plays well, still very fast, but certain pieces he plays slower. Rostropovich, on the other hand, is kind of the opposite. It's sort of a hypothesis, but Gould in 1981 would have been living through the so-called historic revival movement, at least when it was gaining momentum, and in any case, Gould would have done his best to ignore that. His big artistic statements were often made in utter opposition to whatever everyone else was thinking. So we have the world of Bach speeding up around Gould and Gould slowing down. Whereas Rostropovich was not so keen on making big publicity statements, and he lived well through the historic revival movement, and maybe therefore there's a little bit of that in his 1991 playing. Take for example the openings of Rostropovich's two recordings, 1991. Maybe we should hear that again. To me, that's one of the greatest artistic shifts in interpretation in the 20th century. In 1991, it's almost twice as fast. The bowing is lighter. Everything is different. Here it is again, the two differences. that in 1991, this is much closer to our idea of how this piece would have been heard in Bach's time. And I think it's safe to say that the build of historic instruments, instruments from the Baroque, were built to go faster. The bows were more conducive to swifter bowings. Think of the action of a harpsichord versus the action of the piano. And we see it 
In all genres, when we listen to the vocal music made today, maestros like Philip Herweger, Masakai Suzuki, their tempi, they are quick compared to the Harnenkorts, the Richters, the Berms. So we're going to make a monster today on the episode and speed up slow Casals and slow Rostropovich, and you're going to love it. That is correct. You are listening to Pablo Casals, 1938. This is the original opening of his cello suites recording. So let's speed it up a bit and pitch it down a half step into Baroque temperament. but I love hearing the vibrato sped up. That's quite a special sound. Okay, here is the last prelude, the sixth prelude. Here is how it originally was recorded. I love it. It's like getting a giant dump truck just going out of the mud and then it begins to roll. It's absolutely wonderful. Talk about Maya Stozo, Casals' approach. But now here it is sped up quite a bit, and why not pitch down a whole step? Thank you. 
If you're like me, you're thinking, oh, in that tempo, it absolutely should have ended forte. Well, I guess we're in C major, but anyways. Boom, with this big triumphant middle C in this case. But anyways, slower tempo and interpretation. But what I love about that tempo is you get to hear something like this. This is sort of before the big scales come. You get these 30 second notes for the first time in the piece, and they just absolutely pop in that tempo. They really pop as these virtuosic things. And then, of course, these arpeggios. Very difficult to do on the cello with four strings, but with five strings that this piece was written for, you can imagine the virtuoso. Absolutely spinning, spinning the bow over this thing. There were two other places that I really loved in the sped up version, but let's listen to them in the slow version to see what happened. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I liked. I liked the pause before this moment. I love it how he sets you up for the bada da 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 dum. Here is the original. The other moment that stuck out to me was right after he hits the high G. 
That's, that would have been the absolute highest note. And in fact, from the last episode, I mentioned how the range of this piece is even bigger than any of the violin works. But here it is at the top. And then you hear these sort of bird calls. Or whatever you want to call them, but these calling to each other. And they're slurred individually. Slur, 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 slur. And the way that Casals plays them so unevenly, they just look like eighth notes on the page. But let's listen to Casals slur them and play them unevenly, first in the quick tempo, then in the slow. got to hear that again. That's what makes Casals Casals. I mean, you can't go to school to learn rubato like that. Okay, on to our next victim of the Frankenstein operation, Mstislav Rostropovich. Let's go to the prelude of the C major. You can hear how slowly and majestically Rostropovich plays this in 1955, and then you will hear what we do to it. You just heard coughing in that recording, and I didn't mention that this is a live recording. The 55 Rostropovich recording is live. Let's hear it again. Just keep that in mind. Imagine being there, probably Moscow, 1955. Can someone correct me? Was it Moscow? Thank you. 
pretty cool. Well, of course, I think it's pretty cool. It's my podcast. But did you hear the storm that he kicked up in this whole... That whole pedal point thing? I mean, that, that sounded amazing. Listen to it in the original tempo if you'd like. Now, I just realized that I've only done preludes so far, so here is a bourree from the same suite. And we'll hear the way that Rostropovich plays it live in 1955. Doesn't really sound like the modern conception of a bourree. Beautiful, but still, here's what it sounds like. Sounds nice, but that's not exactly the bourre I want to crush my grapes to. plays a better bourree, sped up Casals or Rostropovich. Here's Casals from the following suite, number four, E-flat. about you, but I'd rather drink with Pablo Casals. But that bourree, that second bourree in between the outer bourrees with the 16th notes, that 
bourrée, which was now in the key that I transposed it to, it was this key. One of my early favorites, one of my absolute favorites to this day of Bach. I remember just coming across this in the score. It's sort of the shortest of all the cello suites, just two lines with these two voices. That's the first half. The second half. Again, that second half, so simple. And I remember being touched, and I still am touched by this descending scale. The, the scale, which was the top voice, becomes the bottom voice again. Simplicity, ultimate creativity. That's Bach, but going on. You'll notice I transposed the last two bourrées up a few half steps, so that means that the gloves are off. We can just do whatever we want now. So here is Rostropovich playing the D minor prelude in an octave transposed to a key. I didn't even count how many semitones, and it kind of sounds like a, an interesting Eastern instrument. Enjoy. <laughs>
Now, for those of us in the know, of course, those last chords here, this... Guess what key... Oh, wow, I was in... I transposed this to B minor, a very telling key for Bach. But anyways, those last chords, the way that Rostropovich plays... He just plays them as chords. Well, they're written as chords, but that is our key now, with maybe more knowledge about the performance style in the Baroque than they had in 1955. That's our key to play something like... Something like that. These chords were meant to be filled out into a sort of... A arpeggiated type thing, something like that. Here's uh, maybe my favorite prelude. I mean, how does one choose a favorite cello suite prelude? Anyways, the E-flat, Rostropovich, all messed up now. absolutely thrilling to listen to in that tempo and of course a tritone away a major instead of e flat major just for reference here is actually what Rostropovich's recording of that prelude sounds like So yes, I had to speed that recording up quite a bit, uh, maybe three times. Now that I'm thinking about it, we've had the first prelude. Did we have all? Yes, we had the first prelude, second, third, fourth, 
And the final prelude. So we we need the fifth prelude. Now the fifth, of course, is the most gigantic of them all. So let's switch over to Casals and play his fifth prelude. <laughs> So if you heard that in a car or using headphones, you heard that the directions of the speakers were changing. There was a recording 
one octave up and an octave lower, and they kept swapping places in your speakers. So try and listen to that with a, a pair of speakers for the best effect. And now I'm curious, I want to take the courant from the first suite. I don't want to see if I can play it in a perfect canon with itself, but in order to do this, either Rostropovich or Casals would have to be playing pretty metronomically. So let's see if this experiment works or if it's a complete failure. Okay, that was that, that that was cool. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it play out. We'll play the rest of this movement. Why not? I assume that's why you come to this podcast. And I realize that we haven't had a saraband yet, a saraband. And since that is the real heart of every dance suite, I'm feeling ambitious. Let's try an overlay, because I bet you haven't heard it before. I haven't heard it before. Rostropovich onto Casals in the sixth saraband, the grandiose, the greatest of all the cello suite sarabands. Number six. And I'm not just going to lay them on top of each other. I'm going to try and make some surgery so that they actually do play more or less at the same time. And we'll end the episode with that. Make some surgery? I, okay, I'm owning it. Let's make some surgery. Thanks for listening.